Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest is my good friend Dave Lee from Those Geeks You Know. And if I may, we're doing big things over there thanks to Dave. Uh, there is so much to cover today. We just announced our new giveaway. Check out our YouTube for details or check out the new GutsyMediaPodcast.com for everything you need to know about the show, including our announcements. This is details you're not going to get simply over social media, uh, including how to enter our newest contest and win big prizes out of our gift box while you're there. While you're on the site, visit our new merchandise page and get yourself a new Gutsy Media t-shirt, hoodie, and make sure you check back because we got more stuff on the way. We're doing big things here, guys. Stay with me. But at the end of the day, it's all about this. It's all about the show. So join me now with Dave Lee as we discuss 2020's Batman Death in the Family, DC's interactive movie. And now, on with the show. Thank you so much for doing this again. Um, I'm always amazed when guests come back. They didn't ruin it the first time. <laughs> uh, I think even if you had ruined it, I still would have came back. I, uh, <laughs> I enjoy podcasting and uh, enjoy discussing movies. And then you're not such a bad person either. So, Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I have that on recording now, just so you know. It's all right. I have this goofy <laughs> smile that you have on your face because you don't know how to take compliments uh recorded as well so you picked uh the second go around you picked batman death in the family i did tell me a little bit about why you picked this and um yeah what you know what 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 is the what's what's very distinctive about this movie that isn't normally um one of the movies that we cover on the podcast well i feel like it is one of the movies that we normally would cover on the podcast but um i like the dc animated universe i think it's uh way better than marvel's animated universe uh it's the one area uniquely besides maybe like actual comics that can be argued too but it's the one other media that dc is i think far and away better than marvel and has been for a long long time um and i think that this story was so unique and so cool at the time because of the ability for the fans to vote and kind of decide the ending that uh, it was one of the animated movies I really wanted to see. I mean, I, I want to see all of them, but when this one came out, I really, really, really wanted to see it. So it just made sense, like excuse to watch it, excuse to talk about it and uh, see how it went. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is a relatively new one. It came out in 2020 towards the end of 2020. Um, and it really was a big thing for DC because like you had mentioned, it's based on a 1988 comic book of the same name, a Batman death in the family. This is the outing of uh, Jason Todd as Robin. He was the second Robin in the Batman legacy and DC tried to do kind of a different thing with him rather than do the stereotypical beaver family boy wonder. They went a little more, um edgy i guess is what they were trying to go for but it wound up coming off to the fans as really kind of annoying um and and jason todd was not very well liked as a robin so dc you know really at the time in the late 80s decided to do something that was kind of extreme and they had the joker essentially um kidnap tie up and beat jason todd with a crowbar and then the comic book ends 
with the building exploding and you kind of had this choice where you could call one number to vote for Jason Todd to die and another number to vote for him to live. And I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe the vote ended up being like 51 to 49. Like it was really on the edge, which if you think about it is pretty insane. Cause although he was disliked as a character for, you know, the majority of the public to vote to, to kill off Robin was huge, but ultimately they do. And Robin, Jason Todd dies at least momentarily in the comic books and becomes really the first big thing that Joker does and has a lasting impact on Batman as a character. Yeah. I mean, so a, I think the Robin character was doomed from the start. I think it's one of the most polarizing characters in the history of comic books because it's a sidekick and he's called the boy wonder comic book fans don't like sidekicks. I mean, who is the most popular sidekick? I, I mean, I, it's got to be Robin, but I mean, second yeah. to him, I, I don't even are know. You, unless you consider like Alfred a sidekick, but that's more of a side character to me. Right. Um, you can look at people like War Machine to Iron Man or Falcon to Captain America, but it's still not the same dynamic. Those right, are because they they kind of come into their own. You know, they kind of right. become their own characters. And I, so I think that the writing was against Robin before it even started. Great idea, because um, it also allows the writers to show kind of a different side of Bruce or Batman, like an emotional kind of endearing paternal side. And I think that this idea was dangerous, but it also gave them the ability, an out, right? So it gives them an out. Do we keep writing this character or do we let the fans think that they're making the decision and, and, and killing him off? Um, which is unique and great, and it's it, great marketing because it obviously worked. I'm interested. The first thing I thought of when you said people called to dial to vote, dialed numbers to vote, was were these 900 numbers? Yeah, I think they were the 800 numbers or 900 numbers. Yeah, I think they were. Complete difference, though. 800 numbers are free. 900 numbers are the numbers <laughs> you didn't want your parents to see on the, the report, right? 900 numbers do not exist anymore um, that I know of. But, like, yeah, back in the day, like, there were some bad 900 numbers you could dial. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a pretty wide margin, but I'm not sure. Um, I would be interested to know that I should have looked that up going into this episode. The only thing I could find really quick was it was decided by 70, 72 votes, it says, but oh wow, it, it doesn't say that it says, though, that might not have represented 72 people. So, so I mean, right. Cause people, I'm sure there's no way of tracking how many times you can call. Right. I would have been interested, though, to see if there... I'm sure someone has, like, an exact number here somewhere, but for the sake of slowing down the podcast, we, we'll just go with it was close. Right. So DC Animated decides, um, probably, I would assume, based off the success of Bandersnatch on Netflix, that they're going to do this kind of choose-your-own-ending story um, on a DVD, which, I mean, if you're going to do it, this is probably the best storyline to do it with, based Absolutely. on its history and it being a large part of the marketing. Um, so I'm interested to get your perspective. What did you think this was going into watching it? What do you mean? Let, let me explain. Uh, and, I'll, yeah, and I'll tell you what, what my perspective was. So I did absolutely no research on this whatsoever. I assumed based on the title and having seen that it was being released, 
um, that th- I'm going to be getting probably an hour to an hour and a half movie uh, purely based off of the uh, the, the, the storyline, Death in the Family. There might be some click here to choose this, to choose that. Um, and I was pretty excited about it. Right. What, what we got or what I got instead was essentially like a 25 minute thing accompanied by several other 25 minute storylines, which we'll go into. Did, did you have any idea of that or? No, I kind of thought it was going to be the same thing. I thought it would be like an hour, hour and a half to tell the story and then you would get to pick the ending. Um, I didn't think that I was interested to see, cause it kind of gives like the director the ability to say, this is how I would have ended it. Had this happened or had this happened. Right. Um, my ending was definitely not another 25 minutes, which was something that I was pretty disappointed in. Um, so I didn't know if you wanted to like jump right into that, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a disappointment of mine. Like I remember watching it and I'm like, wow, they're like running through this. Right. And it's then, going fast. I thought the same thing. Yeah. And then you pick the ending and the ending I picked, um, there's like a five minute thing and I'm into it. And then the credits hit. So, so let's, let's go right into it. Let's talk about the plot. Uh, and and spoilers both for the comic book and for the movie here. If you guys haven't done that, it, for the record, the comic book came out in 1988. So you know at this point, if you're getting spoilers, that's on you. Um, yeah. So Jason Todd is aggressively fighting crime um, to the point where he's kind of uh, disturbing Batman a little bit. He's, he's crossing some lines. He's beating up some thugs a little little harder than he should. And Batman's essentially trying to tell him, slow down, calm down. Take a breath. You know, we're the good guys here. Uh, mentor, if you will, is trying to reel in his his subordinate. Uh, yeah. He ends up going after Joker, uh, despite the fact that Batman tells him not to. Uh, Joker gets the best of him and, and uh, ties him up. And, and much like I said earlier, basically beats him to within an inch of his life um, with the crowbar. Go, go ahead and, and tell me where the story goes from here and what you picked. And I'll explain why I want you to do this once you're yeah. done. So I was, just, I, I took down some notes. Like I love the opening scene with the comic book store and stuff like the opening sequence. I thought that that was really cool. Um, I actually turned it on and was like, fuck, this is awesome already. Um, I like those kind of things. Like I like the Marvel beginning cause we've all gotten to know it. I liked how they changed the Marvel beginning to the Stan Lee beginning after Stan Lee passed away. I fully expect them to do a T'Challa one at some point. Um, but I really liked the opening scene. Uh, I liked the internal battle that you talked to me right away where Robin's showing too much force for Batman's liking. Batman has to step up. Um, the fatherly battle, Batman even calls him son mm-hmm. at one point, which I thought was interesting. Um, so then I chose that Robin cheats death. And okay. I chose that because I did not think that you would. Okay. So you, so you had the option to uh, that l- like Robin like, dies. Right. Or he doesn't. And you chose that he doesn't. Well, no, there was three. Robin dies. Batman saves Robin or Robin cheats death. Right. And you chose Robin cheats death. Yes. So go, go ahead. What happens if you pick that ending? So Robin survives, but he has uh, like severe mental damage, lots of skin grafts, really bad injuries. Um, 
he starts thinking that Batman is the villain and starts looking at things because of what happened to, to Dick Grayson and Barbara and how Batman could have prevented that and he didn't. Uh, he ends up running away from Wayne Manor and starts actually killing criminals, like shooting violently and killing criminals. Um, we see some of the who's who's of the Batman rogues gallery that Robin gets to and, and beats pretty badly or kills. Where we get Riddler, Black yeah. Mask, and Cheetah. Yep. Um, he even decapitates the Riddler. Like, he goes on a vicious rampage. Right. Like, DC is not known for, for making child-friendly animated movies. So, yes, right. there's lots of blood. I was surprised that he decapitates the Riddler. <laughs> like, I wrote that down. Um, he then decides, you know, I want revenge on Batman and the Joker. He gets approached from out of nowhere by Talia Ghul. Um, she has Damien, who is the the daughter of Talia and Bruce. The or son. sorry, the son. Yeah, yeah the, I wrote mm-hmm. son, and I said daughter. The son of Talia and Bruce, who Bruce, I believe, thinks is dead, according to what Talia tells Robin. Mm-hmm. And then she offers the resources of the League to help Robin find and kill the Joker if he helps her raise Damien. Which is very interesting. So in the comic books, Damien actually eventually becomes Robin and is raised by Bruce. And while initially being you know, very aggressive in his own right, having been raised by the, the, um, the Talon for quite a long time, he slowly turns and, and is becoming more and more good and really is the heir apparent to the Batman legacy. Although we now know in the next generation, um, it is not him. But so, so there, and there's nothing else after that, correct? Uh, well, Robin talks about some of his goals. So um, his goal is to raise Damien to bring down both both the House of Wayne and the House of Ghoul. Ghoul Raja Ghoul. Ghoul. I always say Ghoul. I don't know if it's Ghoul or Gaul. Raja Ghoul. Raja Ghoul. Um, yeah. Um, and then I wrote down that the movie ends abruptly here. And I would have liked to see what happened next. Like, does the Batman save Robin? Turn him back? Right. Um, do they get to Joker and with the help of the league, do they actually use the league's resources to get to Joker? What happens to Damien? Uh, it would have been cool. I, and then I wrote, it would have been cool to see the creator essentially create his own comic book here. Um, and go from there, which he could have easily done. And that was part of my disappointment. I remember watching it. Like I, I put Harper down for a nap and I start it and I'm like, Oh, okay. I already get to pick. And then I picked and I guess it was a little longer than five minutes because it's 60% of my notes is what happens after I pick. I didn't feel like it was 25 minutes. So if it was, that's my bad. Um, but he, like, it just kind of abruptly ends. Like, I would have liked to have seen that keep going. I wanted to know what happened. I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah. So I don't know why either. My assumption is maybe they're going to continue it on another time. DC is famous for kind of converting already made storylines into animated movies although they do tweak them or add a little bit here they got a lot of uh flack for um yeah the killing joke because they added a lot between bruce and and barbara and stuff like that but um regardless the reason why i had to have you give your stuff first is because i watched this on the uh downloadable version which does not allow you to pick anything what there are no options to pick. It just gives you a straight up story. So the version that I watched, which I'm assuming based on what I've read online is the version where Robin dies. 
um, it, it talks about. Um, so the actual version. The actual version. So a couple things I want to go over real quick before I get into what what I watched was um, Bruce is played by Bruce Greenwood is is voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne. He has probably most notably been the villain in I Robot. Um, he's a very well known actor. He's one of those actors where you recognize his face, but you probably can't couldn't put a name to it. Um, he's in everything, but you're not sure exactly what he's in. Exactly. This is his. Uh, Third time voicing Batman, uh, the other ones being Under the Red Hood um, and Batman uh, Gotham by Gaslight. He also voices Batman in Young Justice, um, but that's more the TV show than actual movies. The This this segment, this uh, Death in the Family, this is not the first time it's aired. It actually came as a, a bonus feature on Under the Red Hood. It, it's clips from Under the Red Hood cut down and added a little bit to it. Um, I have here that the the nature of the Joker's collaboration with Raza Ghoul is different from Under the Red Hood, so they, they changed that for this, although I'm not really sure why, because they didn't really change it all that much. Um, I took it as the Joker always being a little hard to predict, because when Joker goes into that monologue of, of his relationship with Raza Ghoul, um, they changed it, and maybe that was why. Uh, they were trying to add to that, you know, Joker's always changing his story type thing. Um, there's also a feature where you are you are witnessing this story because Bruce is telling somebody this story. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think it's because, so are you, you're either giving them too much credit or <laughs> they, they don't deserve the credit? Because, like, do you think it's they changed it because... They wanted to maintain this persona of the Joker where he's always changing his story. Or do you think it was like, people won't realize. We'll just well, use this footage and tweak it a little bit. I mean, I guess the extra work that it would take to change something so small like that. I mean, I, I, I guess I would have to think it's done on purpose. Otherwise, why, why do it at all? You know, why not just keep the story the same? Um, but so you're getting you're getting this whole thing because Bruce is telling this story to somebody at a diner, and there's a couple different clips of him talking to somebody. Although you're watching Bruce from like over this person's shoulder, the building blows up. Robin dies, as it happens in the comic book. Raza Ghoul gets a hold of him and brings him back using the Lazarus Pit, and that's when he becomes the Red Hood, and he eventually captures the Joker. And has this great standoff scene where he throws Batman a gun, pulls out a gun of his own, and points it at the Joker's head. And basically says, you're going to kill somebody tonight. You're either going to kill me before I kill the Joker, or you're going to do nothing and I'm going to kill the Joker because you did nothing. Which is a great play on the whole ultimate rule that batman has i'm not going to kill anybody and there's so much debate and probably partly the reason why i love the character so much is there's so much debate as to whether or not that's a good rule i mean if he's had all these opportunities to kill the joker over the years and hasn't then all the deaths that the joker has committed is that kind of in some way shape or form you know bruce's and, and batman's responsibility but without going into that there's this great fight with batman the red hood and Ultimately, it's revealed that Bruce is telling this story to Clark Kent, to Superman, um, about, you know, 
Jason Todd gets away as the Red Hood, and is he redeemable? And and like you said, there's kind of an abrupt end there as well. But I'm with you. I'm watching this, and the movie ends, and I'm like, that was it? This is it's like 30 minutes, 35 minutes maybe? And then it goes into the other things. Did you watch the other things? No, I meant to, and I just... I uh, did not have the time. I'm, although it, would, it sounds like it would have been an extra like 15 minutes of my life. Um, I wanted to go back and watch them, but I did not. So there are four additional stories that are told. All four of these stories. With, with three endings? No. So, well, I mean, to be honest with you, because I watched it on the downloadable content version, I don't know. Maybe there were alternate endings of these too, but everything I looked up didn't say anything about there being alternate endings of these. So I don't think there was. Well, but, no, what I, what I'm sorry. What I meant by that was like Batman saves him. He dies. He saves himself. So there's right. three ways it can go. Why is there four? Correct. So there's the, the third way that happens is Batman saves Robin. And then there's an additional choose your own ending after that, where you can choose oh. to kill the Joker or catch the Joker. But that aside, I'm talking, I'm talking death in the family ends. And another yeah. cartoon starts. Oh, I did not get that unless I didn't okay. watch the credits enough. So this is great. Okay. And I, I want to bring this up because to me, this is the entire um, DVD, the entire movie, if you will, that we're watching. Because each one of these is about 20 to 30 minutes long. So total, it's about a two-hour movie if you include these. And, I, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this into the same realm as... If you're watching a Twilight Zone movie, there's going to be four or five different skits that make up the movie. So to me, these are included in the movie that you selected. And I want to go through them because I think in a lot of ways, some of these are better than Death in a Family. So what these other movies are, are DC Showcase. Go ahead. Would I get these through like special features on the DVD? I'm I'm not sure. These played immediately after Death in the Family to me. So I don't know if they're alternate things you have to select on the DVD or not. But on the on the downloadable one, they just played right in sequence. That's weird. And my other question is, why at no point did you ask me for your DVD back so that you could actually <laughs> watch it normally? Because I, I liked this take. I wanted to see... Uh, what you selected and I wanted to kind of portray what my experience was because in a lot of ways it's as much about the experience that's why I always like to ask the, the, my guests why did you pick the movie a lot of times we'll go into how you watched it whether it was downloaded DVD Blu-ray whatever because that adds to it I mean we're, we're both big theater fans and there's a big reason why I think there's such a push to keep movie theaters around. And that's because the experience of watching a movie in the theater is drastically different than watching it at home. Um, Absolutely. So that to me played a lot into it. I wanted to go through this experience with you before, you know, while watching on the DVD, which reminds me, I will, I will come get that sooner, sooner or later. Um, so these next four that we're going to talk about are all part of DC Showcase. DC Showcase was a comic book series where writers could try out new characters. And what would happen is, if the readers liked them, they would mail letters into DC and they would continue to publish comic books based on those characters. Most famously, this is where Barry Allen came from. 
Um, these are like the weird corners of the DC universe that you don't typically see in in movies or really in comic books. I mean, a lot of these characters are not characters that even your average comic book reader is going to be aware of. So it was really cool to see these. And I, and I think a lot of them were probably included, not solely based on their popularity in the DC, so, DC showcase, but also because of that you know, Malin letter type thing, which in a lot of ways is kind of how the whole Robin thing turned out. So with that being said, each one of these is also included as a bonus feature on another DC movie. So this entire Batman death in the family is all made up of special features from other DC animated movies, which we can go in a little more detail later as to how we feel about that. The first one that I watched is Sergeant Rock, uh, originally attached attached to the Batman Hush movie. Um, it's based on war stories, which were a big thing for a while in comic books. Uh, Sergeant Rock, it was created in 1959 and was a standout from the era. And I'm going to read directly from my notes. So if it sounds like this is prepared, it's because it is. This is a lot of information um, on a lot of these characters. So I'm just going to read through and then we can talk about it afterwards. Let's see if this is coherent at all. (laughs) Um, Sergeant Rock and his men are fighting in World War II. His entire platoon is killed. Uh, He then has a new mission. Uh, You see him, you see something watching a bunch of Nazi soldiers, and then whatever this thing is attacks them. There is a cut to an American soldier, which is uh, Sergeant Rock, as he approaches that same camp. It's at night. Then a zombie a very solemn Grundy-esque, although it's not him, uh, who crushes the head of a Nazi soldier with one hand. You then see a vampire as well attacking one Nazi soldier, and then Sergeant Rock comes in and says, stand down. This is, of course, the Creature Commandos, created in uh, Weird War War Tales, issue 92. Uh, They come to a castle sort of thing, and they break in, and you see a werewolf soldier, you have the vampire, you have the zombie. Uh, they interrupt some sort of Dr. Frankenstein-esque experiment. Uh, a metal-headed zombie shows up, Nazi, excuse me, metal-headed Nazi shows up. And then there's a fight. Uh, this big door swings open. And then there's an army of American soldier zombies. At first, Sergeant Rock says to stand down because he sees they're American. But then they attack, and it's revealed that his entire crew from the beginning of the movie were turned into zombies by the Nazis. And there is one huge mega zombie that gives them a run for their money. But in the end, Sergeant Rock prevails. And there is a moment where Sergeant Rock is faced with the idea that if he goes by the book, these guys will be allowed to continue their experiments as Nazis under a new flag, essentially in America. So he leaves them to be eaten and devoured by their own monsters and and hopes that it stops this zombie build uh, regime. Very interesting storyline. Definitely something that you would not normally get in a DC animated movie um, in in a DC movie period. Your thoughts on that. So did you say it was created in 1959? Yep. Sergeant, Sergeant rock. The character was created in 1959. Not like his date of birth, like the actual first appearance of Sergeant Rock. Correct. Nineteen fifty-nine. Okay. So my first thought is: is this DC's version of Captain America? Because it sounds not really. So Sergeant Rock doesn't really have any powers. 
That's, he that is, was going to be my next question. Yeah, he's the average Joe, but he is in charge of the Creature Commandos, which is a essentially a group of your typical movie monsters that were also soldiers. So you had the werewolf, the vampire, the zombie, so on. So the zombies weren't a surprise to him because he was already like in this world where these things were around. Um, they were a surprise in the sense that he didn't realize that's what he was going into fight. He didn't realize the Nazis were creating zombies at this point. And then obviously he didn't realize that those zombies were his own men from earlier in the right. movie. Okay. I mean, it, it sounds like a really cool concept um, and a cool character. Uh, weird and random. Definitely um, random. Uh, I think it's cool. I guess my overlapping thought of this revelation that there's these four random stories that are told at the end. I think it's cool that DC spent time to find these i mean outside of barry allen you said which was one of them i don't know if he's one of the four but one of the people from the showcase but they took the time to find these one-off arguably um obscure characters and then make them into an animated movie it's not like they just had this footage laying around from back in the day and they attached it to this project someone said i'm going to make an animated movie about sergeant rock um so i think that that's really cool I want to watch it because it, it, it does. I mean, I like zombies. We all know this. I like zombie stuff. I like superheroes. <laughs> so like the, the thought that the two are combining into one world is really cool. Um, we know Marvel dabbled in the Marvel zombie things and probably I think like the nineties. Um, but this is well before that. So yeah, I mean, it sounds cool, but weird, but I, I mean, I would read that book. So if you think that's weird, just hold on to your hat, my friend. He like that was the most normal one I had. <laughs> Defet Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com, the only place to travel geekly, focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. Defat Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with DFAT Comics. So the next one that shows up is Adam Strange. Adam Strange, uh, this this whole segment is originally attached to the Justice League Dark Apocalypse Wars, which is the, the epitome of DC's animated um, story arc, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. Adam Strange is a very odd character. Uh, it starts off with him fighting kind of a war with aliens on a distant planet. You're not given any backstory other than he see he flies with a jetpack. He's got very um, Rocket Man esque armor with like the face shield and everything. Um, he is has a daughter and wife. The wife is killed. Um, pretty much in front of him, and the daughter is missing. By the aliens? Um, yeah, like an explosion. I, I don't really remember. I just remember that she dies. The This beam comes out of the sky and essentially uh, like follows Adam Strange until it hits him, and then it uh, takes him 
he, he he's willingly going into this beam. It, it's the Zeta beam. It's what to call it in the comic books. Although he doesn't really refer to it as a Zeta beam really at any point in this mini story. And he's hoping that the Zeta beam is going to take him to his daughter who's missing. The Zeta beam instead uh, picks him up and takes him somewhere else. He doesn't get to choose where he goes. Um, it's also worth noting that Adam Strange is a character from the Silver Age of comic books. He is taken to like an Alaskan type city. Um, very snowy, although this is clearly not on Earth. Um, all the characters seem human or human-esque. And he is basically dropped off here and he thinks... Just got to wait for the Zeta beam to come back and get me. It then does a huge time jump. Uh, I would I would think at least 15 to 20 years, although it doesn't really tell you. He now has a full beard, long hair, and he's essentially the crazy man in the town. Um, ramblings on the wall because he's trying to figure out how to get the Zeta beam to come back to him. Uh, he's close to giving up. He needs to find his daughter. He is found by somebody and brought back to this remote village in the middle of the Arctic landscape. Reminds me very much of the village in the 30 Days of Night okay. with the vampires. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I own that movie. Uh, um, so he now spends his time trying to figure out how to get back. Uh, by but, it le- but as time passes without progress, he burns out and begins to become old, bitter, and lost. In the meantime, this place is being overrun by these alien creatures that have been woken up from underground based on some mining thing that they're doing Uh, very much like the creatures from starship troopers, you know, long legs, kind of weird face. And uh, they turn to Adam strange to help them fight these creatures off. He sees a family in danger, just like his was in the last world and decides to become the hero again. And he fights them off almost single-handedly. He puts his, his, you know, pack back on and his guns and he's going crazy. The townspeople leave and Adam Strange has to stay because of the Zeta beam. So he fights off the aliens. The town people leave and he decides I'm going to stay here because this is where the Zeta beam dropped me off. And this is where it's going to pick me back up. And almost as soon as everybody's out of sight, the Zeta beam shows up um, and hits him and he jumps into it with this renewed vigor and excitement. And then it stops. So you have no idea where he's going. Um, will he go back home? Will he find his daughter? Who knows? Um, but that's that's the end of that story. So it kind of seems like the Zeta Beam is fate. And the Zeta Beam is bringing him to fight these alien uprisings yeah, this, in different worlds. This one, in my opinion, was definitely one of the weaker of the four. Because I feel like the more interesting story there is the Zeta Beam and and who is Adam Strange and all that stuff. But it really doesn't go into detail about that. You just kind of, well, so for a large part of the story, you get this old drunk man who is crazy and then fights off some aliens. Which to me, and I don't know much about Adam Strange. I didn't, I didn't do any research on him. Um but to me, it seems like the weaker part of his story, and I would have liked to have known more about the other aspects. Yeah, I think the real star of the story is, the, like you said, the Zeta Beam. Is this like a wanted storyline where it's run by a secret society? Like the thing in Wanted, like the, um, is this 
like a shield type organization that is just transporting him from place to place. Um, yeah, that one's weird. Like it, it seems to have potential, but in different aspects. Like I don't really, I don't really care about what he does on these planets. I want to know why the Zeta Beam decides right. to bring him to these planets, and I want to know something made him go to the Zeta Beam. Like he could have gone away from the Zeta Beam in the original world that he was in, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he originally went to it because he was hoping that it would take him to his daughter. So again, why does he hope that? Is there some right. experience he has with the Zeta Beam before this where he, you know, it, it helped him? Um, and if so, then why does it suddenly turn on him? How much of the Zeta Beam does he understand? Um, it just there's a lot of questions there, and I feel like the story could have been more involved to get me more hooked on the character. Whereas like the first one we talked about um, with, with Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Rock I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. I want to know more about him. I got like an introduction to the whole creature commandos. I want to know all about them here. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. Let's just move on. You know, type thing. Yeah. It seems like they kind of dropped the ball there. Cause like, like you said, like there's a very interesting story to be told about him. Like, why is he fighting these aliens? Why does he make these decisions? And the, like we said, the Zeta Beam, like, there needs to be more about the Zeta, the Zeta Beam. How is he doing research when he's in this town? Like, he, he said he's drawing on walls and stuff. Yeah, like, he's writing, like, formulas, like a mad scientist. But again, what are the formulas? How does he know them? How do they relate to the Zeta Beam? It, right. Nothing. You get nothing on that. Yeah, I mean, if they would have shown him, like, tapping into some alien internet or something to figure out <laughs> about the Zeta beat. You know what I mean? Like something. Yeah, that's weird. That one's weird. So I'm going to, I'm going to skip over the third one that I watched. Cause I want to do that one last. And I'm going to talk first about the last one that I watched. Uh, the last one is the phantom stranger. This one was originally attached to Superman, the red sun. And I initially, when I saw this, I was like, Oh, I know the phantom stranger. Thinking in my head, uh, I was confusing them with the gentleman ghost. You know, if okay. you ever watched, you know, Batman: Brave and the Bold. Yeah, well, I, I know a little bit about that, but not a ton. If you if you haven't watched Batman: Brave and the Bold, definitely watch it. Especially if you got kids, it is a great um, show to introduce you know young ones, four to to seven years old, to Batman. There's no cursing, very friendly storylines, and they're and they're really good. And the best thing about it is they really dive into a lot of the fringe of the rogues gallery because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, so I highly recommend that, but they, they dive into one of the characters in his rogue gallery called the gentleman ghost, which I won't go into detail here, but I just wanted to bring that up because I, I confused the gentleman ghost with the fan, phantom stranger. So with that being said, the, this one starts off very Scooby-Doo esque. You got a, a group of kids um, driving in a van. It's, it's in the sixties. Um, you see the stranger, um, the, the phantom stranger in the middle of the road. Uh, he is created in 1952, and he got his own series for a little while from 1969 to 1976. Very Twilight Zony. Um, he's kind of standing in the middle of the road on his own, and he appears to be outside of the story for a second. Uh, you see the van of kids show up to a creepy old house with a devil statue in the front yard. Uh, one of the girls stays outside to have a cigarette and the others go in to meet a stranger um, who you don't, you don't know who this person is. 
while she's outside having a cigarette, she meets the Phantom Stranger, who tells her that the man that they are here to see is not as great as the rest of the group thinks. So she then goes inside anyway, and you meet Seth, who is this kind of cult-like leader. Um, He shows up with some magic, and he starts talking to them about being lost and needing to discover yourself. You definitely get the sense of like the 60s cult, you know, maybe Charles Manson, but this guy seems a little more uh, straight-laced. Uh, he there's a weird dance sequence, like very psychedelic, very 70s, uh, where all the characters are dancing. And while this is happening, Seth is walking around and marking everyone um, as his necklace is glowing. And he appears to be kind of sucking the life out of each person um, until our our young smoker is the last one left. He is right what? about to. Go what ahead. makes you like the, what? What is happening with the sucking of the life? Like, does do they get older? Do they die? Is they, there like a life force that is shown going into you, the? Is it like an amulet? Like, absolutely. So all of that. He oh, he literally okay. looks like he is sucking the cloud of smoke out of their mouth, and they shrivel okay. up and fall to the ground as like mummified corpses. So he's literally sucking the life force out of them. So he gets down to the last one. Um, as he is about to suck the life out of her, uh, the Phantom Stranger shows up and saves her. Seth and the Phantom Stranger have this battle uh, where Seth is Seth, the bad guy, is saved by the girl because she's confused as to who is good and who is bad. Uh, Seth gets ready to drain the life out of the Phantom Stranger, and during their bantering, she realizes that Seth is the real bad guy. She then fakes that she's really into him and his power, and then gets really close to him and rips off his necklace and slams it on the ground and essentially destroys him in one fell swoop. And him, her and the Phantom Stranger more or less part ways, and, and that's the end. So this one sounds like the worst one to me. And the reason I say that (laughs) is because it doesn't appear. It sounds like the Phantom Stranger is in his own movie less time than Christian Bale spends as Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, it sounds like he's in this movie for two minutes. The real hero is the smoker, which is a a weird flex (laughs) completely. Um, And the main character is Seth. Not so, the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not terribly wrong, but honestly, that's part of what I liked about it. Um, I like that the the character, the superhero, if you will, wasn't at the forefront of the story, and I kind of got this vibe from him that he was kind of like a watcher. Like I get involved when I need to, but for the most part, I'm just here to watch and observe. Um, this was never stated at any point in the story, but I got the sense that he'd been around for like eons and that maybe he was cursed or some sort of tormented soul because he does have this ability to kind of like appear and disappear at will. Um, which again, so none of that, none of that said, it just kind of alluded to. You got all of that from the few minutes that he's in the, just like, I feel like I'm missing something. Like it sounds like he swoops in, 
and for a few minutes he's in the movie and they fight and maybe he does some cool stuff. I, I don't really know uh, if he has some powers or something. But like he doesn't even defeat the villain. Right. And then and I'm okay with not having a backstory on him as far as like not knowing what he does and it being open to interpretation, but like I, I don't know, if I'm watching something called The Phantom Stranger, I I kinda wanna see the Phantom Stranger or like know a little bit more about the Phantom Stranger and it just I don't know. I feel like this one to me would irritate me. While Seth sounds like a cool character and a cool villain, kind of cookie cutter, I feel like we've seen that type of sucking the life force out of and 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 like the uh, some some form of like amulet or something that grants power and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It seems very weird to me. I, again, I haven't seen these, so like maybe his actions gave you all of this, all of your thoughts on him being a watcher and cursed and around for a while. Um, and, and I guess it leaves you wanting more, but like, is he cool? Like, does he look cool? Does he do anything cool? Not, not really. I think it the reason like he why he gets his ass, kind of gets his ass kicked. A little and he bit. He's a 19 yeah. year old smoker girl. <laughs> She's very windy at the end of this. She's the phantom stranger. <laughs> like, what are the, I, I think one of the things I liked about this is that this this truly could have been a Gooby uh, Scooby Doo episode. Like it's it's that sixties type yeah. feel, you know. So yes, but would it be a Scooby Doo episode if Scooby Doo is never in the show? No, Scooby Doo and the and those uh, the mystery team would have been the the teenagers who had their life sucked out of them. So let's 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 skip over this. I want to get into the last one because to me this was the best one. And the reason for it is because again, keep an open mind. This has very little to do with superheroes. I, I think I have a pretty open mind. <laughs> I mean So this one is called Death. Uh it was originally attached to Wonder Woman Bloodlines and it follows Vincent Omada. He is a painter and at the start of the the film he is getting yelled at for how long it takes him to paint. Um, he you can't rush an art. You can't rush an artist. Everyone well, knows this. So at the time, he's just he's just painting like a wall, and you find out that he claims to be an artist, and that's why it's taking him so long. And he gets fired for that. The camera then pans back, and you see that he was painting the gates of Arkham Asylum. Vincent then goes to start drinking at a bar and he begins to be berated by some sort of fiery demon. Uh, it's very evident that he is the only one that can see this demon. That was going to be my question. Okay. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that the death character in this show that I'm going to speak of is part of the endless, which was created by Neil Gaiman and Mike Drinkenberg uh, in the Sandman issue eight. So this is very Sandman, although death is not a main character. In, well, I guess death is a main character in Sandman. Yeah, but obviously, Sandman is about Sandman. Okay. Um, so Vincent meets death in the hallway, although he doesn't know that's who she is. She's a very beautiful, goth, young woman and is sort of flirting with him. And he's kind of flirting with her. It's very subtle, though. She, we then see Vincent with several demons. 
that are saying horrible things to him. And it's a kind of a, a subtle way of hinting that he's this tortured artist. Again, these de- demons are only ones that he can see, and they seem to be his inner voices beating him up about several things. We have several flashbacks about a the torture he's gone through throughout his life, including his girlfriend leaving him. Uh, it shows you why he is where he is. He is alone in his apartment smoking a cigarette, which is apparently a theme in the DC Universe. His own personal hell, if you will. And he is jolted awake and sees this mystery woman again, Death, getting into a disagreement outside the apartment. When he goes downstairs to see her, there's this car crash in the background. And she wants to see his work. And they decide to go upstairs. She says he's missing a spark of encouragement. He hasn't been able to come up with anything worth painting. His paintings are all kind of okay, not great. And he's, he's an unsuccessful artist. Uh, and that, that's kind of her response to this is that you're missing this you know, spark of encouragement. And in saying that, he kind of has this slow look of her. And he says, I want to paint you. And she lets him. And it comes out amazingly beautiful this painting is breathtaking i mean he stops and takes up a second and is just wowed by how this painting has turned out um as he paints this his demons start fading away and even the color in in this this segment of the movie which has been very black and white matted down grays start kind of it starts becoming a little bit more brighter. Now I'm not saying it starts, you know, you know, flashy bright colors, but right. you can see some some light coming to this world. He notices that the world around him is frozen in time. And he realizes that he is dead. And he realizes who she is. And then he sees himself sitting on the couch dead. And although he's very sad about this, he does have this this thing where he says his life has been worth nothing. And he takes solace in knowing that he left behind this one great masterpiece, the portrait uh, that he painted of her. But then time unfreezes and the cigarette falls from his hand and the fire spreads throughout the apartment. And he begs her to save the painting. He tells her that 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 can be her gift to him is allowing this painting to be saved because it would it would mean that his life was worth something and that he wasn't this failure his entire his entire existence. And she unfortunately says this isn't something that she can control, uh, that she has no no control over what happens. He, she's only there to to take him and go on and the 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 feelings the feelings that you get from this are amazing um and then the final scene are the firefighters coming up into the apartment the apartment is ash and soot and they are shocked because inside of this ash and soot apartment is this perfect untouched painting okay so I can tell why it's your favorite right off the bat because it's grit, matted grays and black and white and kind of noir. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that truly encapsulates 
most stories you hear about artists, right? Like they're kind of tortured souls. Um, they're always waiting for that one inspiration, for that one idea. And as long as they leave behind something that can be considered kind of like a legacy, they're, they're good. They're usually like depressed. And I mean, you don't meet a whole lot of really happy artists. <laughs> um, think yeah, about like you... throughout history, like Van Gogh and, and, and all those guys are all fucked up. Like, did you ever you know read any I mean? of the Sandman comic books? No, I'm familiar with them from like you know, doing some research on them and, and seeing some things about some of the characters. I know they're supposed to be very good. I was like, I was familiar with Death, and I was wondering if it was going to tie into the Sandman world at all. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it sounds like from talking from you describing it that it. it does a good job in cascading like feeling and emotion and, and things like that out of people this short, which is tough to do. Um, I had a feeling the painting was going to be okay. Cause again, like that's all artists care about is leaving behind like a legacy, even like filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all those people that are, I've always said, and this is kind of off topic, but I've always said that like the reason that Michael Jackson is a weirdo and and things like that is because when your brain is so advanced in something, it has to be behind in something else. Uh, Van Gogh chopped his ear off, uh, and and uh, Van Gogh lived in like a mental institution too, right? He's the one who lived in the mental institution. Yeah, that's I like think the Starry so. Night and and the cafe. Um, wasn't Beethoven deaf? Probably. That makes sense. But, like, I just feel like uh, a lot of times in life there's that trade-off where you're... It, it, or maybe nowadays it could be attributed to being, like, kind of Asperger-y or something like that, where, like, you're so far advanced in something that your brain is behind in other things. Um, but no, this sounds very interesting. Like I would want to see more of this. I would want to see this as like a like the adventures of death and like the other trade offs she makes with people and the other things that people are willing to sacrifice um, or be okay with when they die. As long as this happens, what what I really liked about this was that death wasn't your stereotypical grim reaper that was almost yeah. feared. She seemed very warming, very caring, and. I mean, although the the ending is inevitable, you know, the death is there to to, to take you. Um, you really got the sense that you know it, it was it was not a horrible bad thing, especially with his demons fading away. You really got. I mean, everybody says you know when they die, oh, they're at peace now. They're at peace. It's like wow, he really is at peace. He's no longer yeah. being tormented. Um, so, with that being said, I want to address the three questions. So I don't know how you want to do this. If you want to answer these questions as it pertains to Batman Death in the Family, that's fine. Um, or you can take my little synopsis and apply it to the overall movie, air quotes, um, which is, to me, all five. So first question is, what was the message of the film and do you agree with it? I mean, I think the unique thing about this film, Death in the Family, and I'll stick to that because all of those other it, to me they're not part of the movie because all they all were taken from another 
movie. They've already been done. So I feel like they're just little add-ons. Um, almost like a trailer. To me, that's almost like considering a trailer as part of a movie. Um, and that's just my take. And I understand your side, too. It's just how I think of things. So the interesting thing about Death in the Family is you can kind of take with it what you will. Like, do we kill Joker? Or, sorry, do we kill Robin? Do we not kill Robin? Does Robin save himself? I think the takeaway... I don't know. I guess it kind of highlights um, the ultimate thing with Batman. Like, he's willing... He loses. He loses Jason in every scenario. Even at the beginning... Even, like, especially at the beginning. Like, when, when he's going nuts... He loses him because he still goes and tracks down J- Joker, which puts him in this position. Um, so I think you can really focus on that ultimate battle with, with Batman of like the battle of using too much force, the battle of good versus evil, the battle of like you can even look at it like in a paternal way. Like, could he have given Jason more somewhere that would have made him not want to disobey him and go after Joker, which ultimately could or could not have led to his death, depending on which way you went with the story. Yeah. I mean, I think the the beautiful part about Batman and what they've done to the character over the last, you know, 70 years is that story of how much do your actions, how much, how much credit does your actions get in the eventual outcome of other people's lives? Right. I mean, cause at the end of the day, he's not the one pulling the trigger joker is but if your actions led up to that or allowed that to happen how much credit do you get and that's really that's kind of his ultimate battle i think is not just with jason todd but obviously you know trying to avenge his parents and you eventually got barbara gordon and all these other little side things that it's like if he were to step up and year one just start slaying these these bad guys and none of this happened do you then eventually become the bad guy yourself? Right. It's kind of like the whole like Machiavellianism, right? Like ju- the ends justify the means. Right. Um, so is he ever better than the villains he's hunting if he hurts them and kills them? Do people deserve redemption? Can people be changed? Can people be fixed? Um, and that's like an age old battle. And I'd really like to see someone do like, cause I don't think in the movies that we've ever really gotten like a deep dive into that, into that mm-hmm. internal struggle. And maybe it's because like the general audience and you have to appeal to like, he has to be in a suit this long. He has to like throw the battering. He has to drive the Batmobile. But what about like the actual character and the actual internal struggle that Bruce goes through every time he does or does not put on the, the cowl. And every time he does or does not, uh save someone i mean ideally anytime he doesn't save someone you could blame him because he's kind of like this all-powerful good guy not all powerful like superman but all powerful like he's the world's greatest detective so he should have known all this stuff was going to happen like it's Mm -hmm. there's so many other aspects of the story that i feel like could be deep dove into um that i would enjoy seeing yeah i agree um question number two how did the movie leave you feeling and do you think it was intentional no it left me feeling underwhelmed um i wanted to see more of i mean i chose that ending for a reason i chose the ending because i wanted to see what was going to happen um we both commented on kind of being disappointed by the runtime of the film 
I'm used to the DC animated movies that are generally like an hour, hour and a half. Like that's generally what they go in, in the ones that I've seen at least. Um, so that's what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting some fast paced thing just to get to an ending that you get to choose and then have the ending be, and maybe, like I said, maybe originally, maybe it was longer than the five minutes. I remember it being, I just remember it being really quick. I remember them talking in this, I think it was kind of like a cave type thing. Um, him and Talia and her giving him the offer. I remember like a a quick sequence of him decapitating the Riddler and using this force and Batman watching and, and, and being like, oh man, I got to stop this. But like it, it just seemed really rushed. Like I feel like they could have given it more time and that's what I wanted. Like I wanted to see this story that I had read come to life and then I wanted to decide I wanted to see what was going to happen if the other endings because that's part of the appeal like you get to pick the other endings we all know how the story ends we all know how every story ends that's how we read the story but if we get to choose the ending I want to see what they do with that ending right so I was just I was a little disappointed and I was a little underwhelmed no well said um last question what is the most important sequence in the movie That's tough. I, I mean, we're talk you're talking about a 30-minute movie, if that. Where you get to choose the ending. Right. <laughs> I think the most important sequence in that movie is the Joker beating Robin. And what I mean by that is, does he purposely leave him alive? Or is that Robin's just on the, the, the courage and the intestinal fortitude and the, the battle within Robin to not let Joker beat him to death? Because um, he could have given up. Uh, he could have just died, wilted up and died. You know what I mean? Like any normal person would have probably done that situation. So is it hope that keeps him going? Is it the want to prove to Bruce that he is more than just a sidekick? I guess that's what I, that's to me, that ending sequence before the ending sequence is uh, to me pivotal because it, it, it allows Jason to if he survives take that turn to do whatever he's going to do whether it be become the villain kill the villains become a good guy like i don't know i don't know it's a short movie but if i had to pick one it'd be that scene yeah i mean it's it is so hard to pick one because the, the initial you know couple minutes are kind of real choppy cut scenes and and then obviously you have the extended warehouse scene where Joker's there, and then even after you pick, um, or at least after you know the the cut that I got, um, it's still kind of cutty scenes and and um, no real extended scenes. So I I would agree with you. It'd have to be that only by default, really. Um, right. So I mean that I guess that kind of sums up. I mean the ultimate question here is was that a good movie? Uh, what are your thoughts? Zero to ten. Five. There were things that I really liked about it. Uh, I liked the humanization of Bruce with like the paternal side. I liked that struggle. I liked that Joker was fucking unrelentless and uh, just beating the shit out of Robin, both to beat the shit out of him and to piss off Batman. Like I, I, I liked parts of it. I even liked the what happened with the ending I picked. I liked that Talia came out and that Damien was involved and that Jason lost his shit and was killing villains and, and decapitating the Riddler and things like that. I just wanted to see more. 
So I guess to, if right. I can't say I didn't like it because I wouldn't have wanted to see more if I didn't like it. I would have been waiting for it to end, like Batman vs Superman or Justice League. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess a five because I feel like the potential was there to do so much more. Yet you mentioned DC typically tells stories the way they're told, right? So maybe they were afraid to to do more, let to let the director kind of tell his side. I, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, like maybe what they should have done is gotten like three comic book writers and said, "You do this take, you do this take, you do this take," and filmed that. Yeah, I mean that that plays in, in my opinion. I think uh, Marvel's uh, uh, Elseworld or, or What If that's coming up is going to really highlight to, well, hopefully, really highlight to these two conglomerates that that is a that that's a road that you can drive down in every direction i mean we as and i speak for myself but i think i speak for a lot of people when i say as a comic book reader i like the stories you've given me and i would love to see these stories on the big screen um just as adaptations and seeing the actual walking talking superhero but on the same token i have no issue with you telling me we're going to do this storyline but we're going to change the ending we're going to change this thing, not as part of continuity, but as just kind of a what if Elseworld type, let's see what happens. And that that they missed an opportunity here to do that, I think. And I think that's the internal battle, right? Because like you'll have the comic book fandom that doesn't want them to touch their babies, that doesn't want them to change the story, that doesn't want them to. I mean, we get people freak out if a character is a different race or gender. Yeah let alone if a story is told differently. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, but under the guise of this, or the what if, but especially this, where you get to pick a, an ending that didn't happen, Right. you had the ability to do this and get completely... What are people going to say? Like, what are people going to say? Like, no, I don't agree with that. Well, oh, well, the, the, what I'm basing it off nothing. This is and my that's, thought. That's the key, I think, that the wrapping... The, the how you present it. I think if you present this is Captain America, but we're making her female, then it's then it's you know ape shit. You changed my character. Don't do that. But if you what? present it as this is what if this is the alternate version, I'm not hiding it. I'm telling you that I'm changing things, and I think you get a lot more buy in that that way. Uh, ultimately, yeah, just... zero to ten. I'd have to agree with you. I think, honestly, I think five might be generous. I might go four on this. If I'm strictly judging the death in the family segment of this, if I'm judging all five as a whole, I might bump that up to like a six, maybe even a seven, because I really did like seeing some of these characters that I otherwise would have probably never known about. And I hope that they continue to do that type of thing. I hope they continue to do that in extended versions, give me a Sergeant Rock, you know, animated movie. Give me a, a Sandman animated movie. I'm really excited about the TV show. That's that's a whole other topic. Um, let's dive into Guess That Tomato. So you already know kind of how this goes. Rotten Tomatoes. They do the critics and audience score, and uh, let's let's start with your guess, and then I'll sprinkle in some hints, and we'll revise if needed. Uh, you want my guess on what Rotten Tomatoes gave this film? What did Rotten Tomatoes audience score rate Batman Death in the Family? 68. 
All right, 68. I will tell you that the um, critics rated the movie a 71. And I'm also going to tell you the other three movies that are plus or minus 2% of this movie. The first one being Disney's live-action Lion King. That's right. It's the Lion King, just with Beyonce. Yeah. Movie number two, The Accountant. Because how else would you explain somebody being into numbers and murder? And movie number three, John Carter. Didn't Disney's attempt at Star Wars before they owned Star Wars? Yeah. Um, so I guess it made like a forty-five because uh, John Carter got destroyed, I, I believe. So the audience rated Batman's death in the family. Fifty-two. All right. So it's funny because you gave it five out of ten, and that's almost spot on to a fifty-two. Yeah. Um, Interesting. We had John oh, so- Carter. I, I that movie. That's a side note. Like that movie murdered one of my favorite. One of my like an actor I really liked. Career Tyler Kurtz. She was in um, Friday Night Lights. That was his breakout role. And John Carter was supposed to be this tentpole that mm-hmm. it, it, they wanted. Franchise, him yeah. To be, yeah, they wanted him to be like one of the next big Hollywood guys. He was in like that battleship movie. He was in a few things where he was like building, building, and they he was supposed to after Friday Night Lights take off and be like one of the next A list actors. And that movie just completely shat all over him. And he didn't really bounce back until the, his his run on True Detective, so, which kind of got some people back. And sorry, no, and he played an awesome. He played that awesome David Koresh in the Waco miniseries that i think aired on like spike or paramount or whatever that it was, was him which he was david crush i watched that that was sure. awesome yeah i, I like that, that whole storyline that's weird and very interesting he lost he lost a lot of weight it showed a lot of depth for him um yeah T- taylor kirsch he was yeah i knew that he yeah he was david crush so one critic, uh, positive critic, said uh, a more natural fit than most recent foyers into interactive shows, which I agree with. It's definitely a very natural fit for the interactive experience. Um, that's another, not the movie. That's the format. Right. Another critic ironically said, reach out for the physical Blu-ray copy if you must, but avoid the digital format at all costs. That's <laughs> which funny. is. Probably because it's so time directive. Why would you even do that? I, I I don't know. Honestly, I think this this movie probably would have gotten higher praise had, in my opinion, the marketing not been so deceiving. And I don't know if it was done on purpose. I don't know if maybe I just didn't catch all the previews that I should have or known enough about it. Because it, in their defense, I didn't really. I really didn't look into the details of this movie other than I saw that it was titled Batman Death in the Family. But why to know... You? Exactly. But to know after the fact that it was one of five different shorts, essentially, and that all of these had appeared on other Blu-rays as extras, I was really disappointed. And um, yeah, especially with the digital format. So even on IMDb, if you're solely looking at this film on IMDb and going, "Hmm, I wonder if I'm going to check this out. Let's look a little bit into it. Uh, the description is it's the first interactive animated DC movie. You get to decide Jason Todd's fate. Cool. Uh, there's a couple trailers. Runtime. What do you think they list the runtime as? 
Um, probably the full run time, two hours, hour thirty six minutes. Yeah, which it definitely is not. It's not. So yeah, I mean the market. You're right. The marketing is abysmal for this. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, so as you know, it's a firm belief of the owners don't forget a towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be movies and comic books, it might be killing your sidekick or otherwise resurrecting your long lost army buddies. So I've got to ask you, Dave, what is it you're geeking out on right now? Uh, Shit's Creek. So I know we talked about this in some other podcasts. My wife and I are rifling through Shit's Creek. Um, she has not said my name correctly in the <laughs> two months we've been watching Shit's Creek. What, where are you at? Um, what, what episode? What season? I think we're in either season four or five. Okay. So David's got Rose Apothetor, Apothetory. He's dating Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, Moira already filmed her movie. Okay, so uh, I think you must be. So I'm on. I'm on season four, episode five or six, and okay. uh, I don't think she's filmed a movie yet. So you might be ahead of me. All right. So, right around there. Yeah. So it's it's pretty interesting. Um, it's funny. A, it's really a. I it's like one of the. Sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I like the unconventional take on the characters, and what I mean by that is most sitcom characters have weird quirks and. And things that ultimately engulf the character, but in in these characters, what you would think would be the weird quirk is really just kind of gl- like David is a prime example. He is essentially a bisexual, you know, rich white boy living in Arkansas or, or some southern, you know, whatever. And and really, that's not even the main part of his character. Like it's not even like in the forefront. It's not the main part of the storylines. And I really like that a lot. And they don't. F- they don't force it. Exactly. Like they don't force the bisexual part, which is what I enjoy. Um, it's one of the, not just, sorry, that's not a horrible. It's not that I just don't enjoy that. They don't force <laughs> the bisexual part. I enjoy that. They don't focus on one aspect of the character exactly. and stress that. Right. They don't make um, it a single entity type character. Right. Right. What I enjoy is I think it's one of the smartest, wittiest shows I've ever watched. Um, literally, Every line has a punch in it, mm-hmm. or at least 95% of them. And it just baffles my mind that this wasn't on like a major network. Yeah. It was on some small Canadian TV show. It's an entire family creating this world, the Levy family, because like David is Eugene's son and Twyla is his daughter. Mm-hmm. And throughout the credits, if you look, there's Levy's everywhere. I don't know if they're all related or not, but. Levy, Levy, whatever his last name is. But, like, yeah, I mean, he's the dad from American Pie, and he's was that for a long time. And now he's Johnny Rose. Like, Yeah, and they are and very cool. different characters. He plays kind of a normal guy in this one. I think he's, like, really the only normal person in the family. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my wife is obsessed with Ted. Post-breakup Ted, so, like, <laughs> with facial hair and muscles. Um... But no, that's a great show. So besides that, the only other thing I've been geeking out on is Casey and I always joke about it. We're both oddly obsessed with uh, trashy reality TV shows. I don't know why. Put one on and I will watch it. Not like good shit, like The Bachelor. Like, I want trashy shit. <laughs> so, like, 
I wa- or stupid shit like I'm such a Jersey Shore or like I watched this thing on uh, Netflix called The Bling Empire, um, which is all of these stupid rich Asian people in California. Um, it sounds now really watching, trashy. Yeah, and now I'm watching. It, it's from 2014. I had never heard of it, but it's called Are You the One? And it's an MTV dating show um, where ten singles of each gender have somehow uh scientifically been matched up with a perfect match so they have to figure out who the perfect match is and if they all figure it out they get to share a million dollars um and i've watched a season and a half of this show in about a week so nice yeah it's it's just my release like i don't have to think about it i don't have to follow a storyline absolutely you got to have those shows the end of the day I don't want to think too heavily about the TV show. I want something that plays out in the background while I stare at my phone, and I can look up every once in a while and not have to rewind three minutes to figure out what just happened. Right. And then there's sports. The Super Bowl is coming up. I just watched the Royal Rumble. So lots of lots of stuff to, to keep me occupied during the craziness that we're living in. Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again. I really appreciate it. Any uh, any shout outs you want to give or anything that you want to plug? Any any uh, local yeah. businesses you want to give a, a shout out to? Ooh, local businesses. Yeah. Uh, not that anyone. Maybe. If you ever need a haircut, go to Salvatore's Barbershop in the Leaf and Bean Plaza. My buddy Frank owns that place and it's amazing. Um, they do beards, they do haircuts. Um, if you need a chiropractor, go to Camerata Chiropractic. He's over by the post office in North Charlotte. I've known Sam for 15, 20 years. Um, Awesome person, awesome chiropractor, even better person. Um, I will shamelessly plug my friends' businesses until I can't talk. Um, I've always been that way. I've always been that way. I'll always support my friends' businesses and local businesses. Yeah, so there's there's that. Uh, what was your first question besides any local businesses I wanted to plug? Uh, anything that you want to give a shout-out to? Shout-out. Nah. Oh, I picked up this awesome book on Amazon that people should check out. It's like a collection. Um, this artist did it. It's like poetry. And it's awesome. You can tell the artist really opened up and really like embraced the art form and put his thoughts and his feelings on paper. Uh, it's called When It Rains, and you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> don't don't waste your money, to, folks. I might even be able to get it signed for you if you purchase it. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. You've got Gutsy Media Podcast. Leave a message about any movies you've covered and maybe we'll add to the show. Thanks. Hey, it's Chester A. Arthur coming to you from Gotham City, a.k.a. New York. Very excited to be here on the line. First time in a long time. Uh, and I'm excited to be calling about Batman today. Now, I know a lot of folks have different opinions and which one's the best and how dark this particular version is and how it's compared to all the other ones. But let me tell you something. It's not as good as the original. That's right. Adam West era. Best Batman. And it has the best Joker. It's not any voice from any cartoon like this bullshit. It's not dark. It's happy. It's good. It's wholesome. That's what we need more of. 
Chester and Arthur from New York City. Out.